morning. My name is Pastor Mark Van Dyke, and I am the lead pastor about five blocks away at Ammon Valley Christian Reformed Church. What a great, great privilege it is to be worshiping with you and to be bringing the Word of God to you this morning on such a special day where Emmanuel looks back, uh, but also looks forward. Uh, Such a day of celebration. And um, just as I said, it's a great privilege to be bringing the word uh, on the heels of many great ministries of of very good pastors that have served this congregation. And uh, we look forward, of course, to the ministry of another very good pastor, Patrick Anthony. And so uh, Patrick and I have been connecting over the past few weeks, and uh, he expressed an interest in in me uh, preaching and installing him, and so it's a great privilege for me to be here. And as I was sort of coming into the the church today, I was handed um, the history of Emmanuel, and um, I have a bit of a gripe with with an omission here from the history of Emmanuel. It does not include the epic legendary internship in 2010 of Mark Van Dyke here. Uh, and so um, whoever designed this, I'll see you in the parking lot afterwards. So. But uh, no, I, I was, for those who aren't in on the joke, I was a seminary intern here 11 years ago, and uh, it was a fantastic summer. And that was a big part of the reason that I wanted to return back to Ripon and be a pastor here uh, full time. And so uh, thank you for those for that good uh, nine weeks that I had here um, 11 years ago, and uh, it is good to be back in the pulpit. Now, as I was thinking of a scripture text this morning, uh, I wanted to select a portion of the Word of God that encapsulates, encapsulates what Christian Reformed ministry is really all about. And this means that we won't just be thinking this morning about what a pastor is called to do, all that, although that is included. Uh, we will be thinking about what every Christian is called to do, to seek, to be in the kingdom of God. And so we are all Christ's ambassadors in a way. We are all ministers of the gospel. And so as I preach this morning, there will be uh, a few points particularly directed towards the work of a pastor, but really all of us can understand um, this scripture text as speaking to each of us who are called into the presence of God and who are called to minister the gospel. And so our scripture text this morning is Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. I encourage you to pick up a Bible and to open it. Uh, We're going to look at more than just Exodus 34 this morning, and so it would be good if you do open your pew Bibles to, um, to this scripture text. Before we read the text it would be really helpful for you that we have a little bit of context, that we know uh, the situation that we're reading about. These events that we will read about occurred on Mount Sinai, and of course that is where the Lord gave Israel the Ten Commandments through Moses. And when Moses returns to the camp after receiving those Ten Commandments from the Lord, what does he find? He finds the people of Israel worshiping the golden calf. It's a a terrible, tragic story. And in his anger over the situation, Moses throws down these tablets that the Lord has written his commandments on, breaks them, 
And after these commandments are shattered, uh, both literally and figuratively broken by the people of Israel, the Lord goes back up, or or, uh, Moses goes back up to uh, the mountain to talk with God again. And what we will read is the tail end of that second trip up Mount Sinai. But first, let's, before we get to our text, let's look at Exodus 33, verse 18. The, the Lord and Moses are talking in, the Bible even says they're talking like friends. And Moses is making requests of God, I need to know that you will be with me and that you will be with us as we go into the wilderness and into the promised land. And the Lord affirms Moses and, and gives him gracious covenant promises and reminds him of the unbreakable covenant that the Lord has made. And then in Exodus 33, verse 18, we, found, we find an amazing request that Moses makes of God. Then Moses says to the Lord, Now, show me your glory. So before I go any further this morning, I want to ask, is that your request of the Lord this morning? Now, show me your glory. And... There's a lot of glory, for sure, to be seen in our world. There's a lot of glory in this church, looking back on 75 years and looking forward to a new ministry. But really, the heart of the Christian must be set solely on the glory of God himself, of seeing the Lord, of experiencing God's presence, and of shining his light out into the world. Is that your request this morning? Of God as you come into church. So the Lord grants Moses' request partially. This is the famous cleft of the rock passage where he hides Moses in the rock and passes by and only allows for Moses to see his back because if Moses saw his face, he would not survive. And so after Moses beholds the glory of God, we read what happens next in Exodus 34 starting at verse 29. When Moses came down from, the Mount, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. And he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And then he came out and told the Israelites what he had been been commanded. They saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have blessed us in countless ways. You have sent your own beloved Son to accomplish our salvation. You have given your spirit to your church, and you have given us the Bible, your word. God, we pray that, that as we contemplate these words this morning, that we would do so with faith 
and with a faith that will increase as we grow in our belief of these truths. God, we pray that you would fill this church with your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you study the life of Moses, you would very quickly realize that this is a man with a wide variety of duties among the people of Israel. It's a man who had an impressive and extremely demanding job description among the people of God. Moses was a leader, and not just a leader in some easy circumstances, but a leader of a nomadic people in a hostile wilderness. Moses was a judge who would settle legal disputes between people who would come to him with a disagreement. Moses was a teacher of the law of God for Israel. Moses was, in a way, like a construction foreman overseeing the building of the tabernacle. Moses was a priest serving or supervising this newly developed sacrificial system that the Lord told him to implement in Israel. That's a lot. Just one of those things would have been a massive responsibility for one person. And Moses had this burden, this weight that he carried with him um, through the wilderness with these often cumbersome people. Now, on top of this, Moses had a family. He had a wife and children. And one of the lessons of Exodus is that this man's own personal life was fraught with difficulty. Moses, after all, was a murderer. He was certainly a sinner. He was at times a rebel against God's will. And one of the stories that doesn't get a lot of attention in early Exodus is that God almost killed Moses at one point as he was on his way from the burning bush to Egypt because Moses wasn't fulfilling his responsibilities as a father in his own family. And on top of those personal faults, he faced this powerful ruler of Egypt. He's leading Israel through the desert and enduring even a mutiny from one of his own family members in his, in his nation. So through all this turmoil... What was the primary responsibility of Moses? What was he called to do um, and set his heart most on? To sit in the presence of God. To seek the Lord. To speak with God. The Bible tells us Moses and God spoke to one another like two friends. And so what a privilege it would have been for Moses to bring all of the burdens, both within and burdens that were sort of external burdens into the presence of God regularly as he would go and talk with him. During these times, Moses would listen to God. During these times, Moses would seek guidance from God. During these meetings that Moses would have with God, we can probably assume that he would have sang to the Lord because we have, of course, the song of Moses in Scripture During these encounters with God, the Lord would certainly remind Moses of his faithful, unbreakable covenant with his people. The Lord would have certainly reminded Moses he would never leave or forsake him or his people. And it was during these moments where Moses would be reminded also of his own sin and of the holiness of God. And so we see that with all of Moses' responsibilities, 
with all these heavy burdens that he was called to carry, his greatest need was to sit at the feet of the Lord, was to meet with God. So, transitioning into our day, uh, both for the call of Patrick and the call of every Christian, what is the primary duty of the pastor? What is indeed the primary duty of every Christian, no matter what your calling is? It is to sit at the feet of the Lord, to seek God. And of course, we as members of the New Covenant, living in the New Testament era, we behold the glory of God through his perfect image, who is Jesus Christ. And so to seek the Lord in the New Testament certainly is to seek Christ, to trust Christ, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Throughout the whole Gospel of John, there is a theme of beholding the glory of God in Jesus Christ. In fact, um, I think it's about eight or ten chapters of John's Gospel have that theme of glory as one of the central components of those chapters. You find right away in John 1 verse 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. And this would have evoked thoughts of Moses who saw the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai. We have seen his glory, says John, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when Jesus teaches uh, later in his ministry about his death and resurrection in John 12 and in John 17, he basically says, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is the time for God to be glorified, he's saying, as I go to the cross and as I am risen from the dead. So what does this mean for us? This means that although we cannot see Jesus now, when we contemplate his death and resurrection, when we see him through the eyes of faith, we grow in our confidence in God. We're reminded of the forgiveness and salvation of Christ, and we behold God's glory. So what is the result of this meeting with God for Moses, and what is the result of our meetings, our encounters with the living God through Christ? Well, Moses is transformed, isn't he? The result of meeting with the Lord is personal transformation. You cannot meet the Lord and be unchanged. Moses' face is literally reflecting the glory of God. Everyone in the Israelite camp knew that Moses had been with the Lord. There was something different about him that couldn't be manufactured, that couldn't be faked. He didn't have to go and promote himself to all of the people, kind of trying to affirm that he was a really good leader and that they should continue following him. It was obvious to everyone he had been in the presence of the living God. In fact, he he didn't even realize that his face had been changed until other people told him. Now, while we might not be physically illuminated when finishing a prayer, when we might not be physically changed uh, when we're walking out of church, we can be sure that Christ will no less transform us when we encounter him. People who enter the sanctuary worried and anxious depart as people who have heard the promises of God, who have worshipped our strong God, 
and who now go into the rest of their week without fear, without worry. That's a transformation that happens in the presence of God. Or God calls the person who carries the heavy burden of sin. And it is a heavy burden, isn't it? Far heavier than any job responsibility that we could have is the the burden of our own sin. God calls that person to himself through Christ, and you are transformed into a forgiven new creation, where the old is gone, forgiven, the new has come. God calls that person who is confused about how to live in our very complicated world, calls you out of your confusion into his presence so that you might know his will, so that you would be transformed from a person who is confused about the world into a person who is is confident that you can live according to the will of God to his glory. So this means that there is a second part to the main task of the minister. There's a second part to the main task of the Christian. The first part is to seek Christ, and the second is to point people to the glory of God, to to live this transformed life. About a hundred years ago, the Presbyterian theologian J. Gresham Machen noticed that, that many ministers in his day were drifting away from this primary call to seek Christ, to live in the presence of God, and to preach the word of God. And instead of encountering the risen Christ, sermons and worship and, and the Christian life were becoming more about promoting opinions and worldly advice. Now he wrote this a hundred years ago. We can certainly say this case is, things have not changed much in terms of the temptations of a minister. And so he wrote this. Weary with the conflicts of the world... One goes into the church to seek refreshment for the soul. One goes seeking transformation, he says. And what does one find? Alas, too often, one finds only the turmoil of the world. The preacher comes forward, not out of a secret place of meditation and power, not with the authority of God's word permeating his message, not with human wisdom pushed far into the background by the glory of the cross, but with human opinions about the social problems of the hour or easy solutions of the vast problem of sin. Thus, the warfare of the world has entered even into the house of God, and sad indeed is the heart of the man who has come seeking peace. Now, brothers and sisters of Emmanuel CRC, you are a blessed congregation to have a pastor, Patrick, who will preach and lead with the humility and power of one who has been in the presence of God and who seeks the presence of Christ. In my interactions with Patrick, it has been so clear that he not only understands the gospel, the the components of it, but that he sees the glory of God in it. That it is a glorious gospel as Paul calls it, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. That's what it is. So the ministry of the church is so much more than just getting people to heaven, isn't it? It is to reflect the glory of God as we share the gospel, as we serve one another, as we care for our neighbors, as we reached out, as we live life together. 
The gospel is, is so much fuller than just getting to heaven one day. It is primarily about the glory of God being revealed. Yes, certainly through salvation from sin, but even into all areas of our life. That is our Christian Reformed view of the gospel. So the call of God for Emmanuel Church and for every church is to proclaim Christ crucified and risen from the dead and in doing so to reflect the glory of God. So to illustrate uh, the work of a minister and uh, again to illustrate really the work of every Christian, I want to tell you a little parable in closing. And the parable is is a true-to-life thing, something that happened in my own life a few years ago. A group from our church went on a hike in Yosemite. We did the Yosemite Falls Trail. And if you know two things about the Yosemite Falls Trail, you would know it is steep and it is crowded. And especially on a Saturday. It is a steep climb, a lot of switchbacks going basically straight up the side of, of the valley. And of course, the payoff is huge. You get a spectacular view of the falls and of Yosemite Valley below. And even though the hike was a difficult one for the people of our, our church, that last destination, that last view makes it worthwhile. You get up to the top, you eat your lunch with God's creation visible before you. So now, as I said, the trail is a busy trail. It's very crowded, especially on a Saturday, which is when we were there. And throughout the day, the trail was getting more and more crowded. We had gotten there quite early, so there weren't all that many people up at the top. But on our way down, there was a a flow of people, just single file, constantly going by you. And here's where this Moses connection comes in. Having been to the top, I couldn't help but encourage people to keep going. Having been to the top, to see this view to behold the majesty of Yosemite. As I was crossing by these these weary, tired, hot, disgruntled people, having been at the top, I could say, you got to keep going. You got to, it's worth it. Keep hiking. Especially to those people that were almost at the top and about ready to give up. You're almost there. It's only three more switchbacks. And so, I, I don't know if I was maybe intruding on people, maybe they didn't want to hear it from me, but um, <laughs> having already been there, but just what I saw, I couldn't help but encourage people that, that it would be good if they would get there too. And so to those people who were only halfway, I had to be realistic. You might be tired, you're halfway, but it's worth it. And then at the bottom of the trail, I'll never forget, there were some people who were just starting, and they were on the paved part of the trail. And they were wearing flip-flops. They were wearing sandals. And so they asked me about the hike, and it was already 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a fairly decent hike. And I had to be honest with them. It's a great hike. I don't think you'll make it to the top with that footwear, though. Now, every Christian, especially the pastor, is called to this kind of work. You are invited into the presence of Christ. You are invited to the mountaintop, to the presence of God, so that you might faithfully and convincingly share this message with other people. 
so that you might be an encourager, an evangelist, a sharer of the word with others. I think of talking with somebody who is going, very likely going to die soon. That is the work of a minister. That is the work of really all believers at some point in your life. To, to have a, a visit in the quiet of a home, maybe in a hospital, with somebody who is about to meet the Lord. And I can't help but think how much it's like that person who's almost to the top. Now, how might you encourage that person? Well, if you've been in the presence of Christ that you could encourage them. You're almost there. You're about to see something so joyful and unimaginable. Keep the faith. Trust Christ. Seek Him as you wait for Him to call you. Having experienced the presence of Christ, you would be able to encourage them like I did those hikers who are almost to the top of that trail. You're almost there. Don't give up. Have faith in Jesus. The most encouraging person that you could meet is the person who daily enjoys the presence of God, who uh, sort of lives at the mountaintop, you might say, who comes you know, out into the world to, to call people to Christ, to experience what they've found in him. Now, the effective Christian preacher is the one who has been on the mountaintop with God. And the church that is effective in their teaching, in their service, in their evangelism, is, is not the church that figures out all of the techniques and, and you know, trends and polls. No, the, the church that is effective in service, in teaching, and in evangelism is the church that loves the presence of God, that seeks Him, and is, is transformed, even evidently transformed as Moses was among the people of Israel. The church that is effective is a church that receives the love of God, remembers the power and faithfulness of God, and goes out into the world to share that with your words and actions with others. Now, looking forward to Patrick's ministry and to Emmanuel's future, you are called to do what? You are all called to know Christ. To know him in his crucifixion and resurrection. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. He said, you need to know Christ and you need to, to shine for him. You will. And so this is not just Patrick's work. Sometimes that can be the temptation on a day, an installation day is, take us to the promised land, Pastor. No, you are all called to seek Christ. And um, it's not a burdensome call. It's a joy to pray, to sing, to worship. And, and as I said, the church that lives in this way is the church that shines for Christ. And so this is the call of God for the church. And it's so clearly said in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we who have been in the presence of God, who know Christ, reflect the glory of God, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Oh Lord God, we confess that in our sin we are distracted from your glorious presence, from your glorious work, onto the comparatively small glories of worldly things. God, we pray that Patrick and Anne and their family, that all of the people of Emmanuel would seek your glory, would live in your presence, and would reflect, perhaps even unknowingly, your love, your truth, your grace to the people around them. God, we pray that you will come in power among the people of this church. That as your word goes forth from this pulpit and in classrooms and in people's homes, that it would not come just in word, but with power and with deep conviction. God, we pray the prayer of Moses, that you would show us your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.